0: Again, 1 Peter, we're going to read what he has to say in these first 12 verses here. Let me invite you to turn your eyes to those pages and to read it as well. I think it's on the bulletin too if you have that. This is God's Word to us. It's given to us in love. He cares for us, and He gives us His Word as an expression of that care. Let's listen together. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, through those who preached the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to him and ask him to help us to understand it tonight. Our Father in heaven, Son, and Spirit, we do ask that you would help us to see your great mercy in this text tonight. We come from all over the map. You've made us. You know us. Some of us, Lord, excited about a new year, excited to learn and to walk with you, to know more about you. And Lord, we ask that you would meet us in this way. And others of us, Lord, come in here uh, despairing. It was not a good summer. And we're wondering if you would still love us and care for us. Because when we look at ourselves, that's all we see. And so we're longing tonight, maybe even for one last shot, at believing that God might still care about us. And for those of us, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of your grace. Others of us come in here with real doubts, real questions, and real concerns. And so we pray that you would meet us with hope, with clarity, and with insight that we might see you. Wherever we come from, O oh Lord, we're in deep need of you. And we ask that you would teach us now. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. And we lift this all up in your name. Amen. Well, um,. I want to start by beginning this by saying this, that I don't know how many of you are followers of like Olympic sports, but does anybody know the name David Wise? Does anybody know that name? Okay. He is the men's current reigning men's ski half-pipe champion, and uh, he won it in the uh, 2014 uh, Olympic Games. Well, in the aftermath of his gold medal win, the press highlighted Wise's accomplishments and they, they basically were highlighting his alternative lifestyle. His alternative lifestyle highlighted his, his life. The title was this. David Wise's alternative lifestyle leads to Olympic gold. Now, but when you read about Wise's life, when you read the article, the author highlighted just how radical his alternative lifestyle actually is. And here, I just, here are just a few of those facts. First of all, he was 23 and married. Maybe not what you expected. He had a wife, he and his wife had a child together already at 23. And thirdly, he thought that he might one day leave the sport to become a pastor because he was a Christian. Now, this is really interesting because it's this that the article was talking about, about his alternative lifestyle. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear that. You might be surprised, you might not. For those of you that might say, yeah, that actually is kind of surprising. If you're someone who sits outside of Christianity with questions and maybe even skepticism, you might say, you know what, the reason that's surprising is because the Christians that I know, they don't look any different than the people that I know that aren't Christians. And so it's surprising in that sense. And others of us may say it's not surprising because maybe we're insiders into the faith and we just think, well, doesn't everybody just believe like I do? That would be surprising that there might be some sort of contrast. And others of us would say that's not surprising. That's not surprising because maybe, again, if you're an outsider looking in, you might say, Christians are just weird. They do funky stuff. I don't get them. You might think that. But you also might be a Christian and you might say, you know what, for me to just walk with Jesus just feels like I'm swimming against the current at every turn in my life. So you might be surprised or you might not. Well, why do I share this story with you? Well, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Peter all semester long. And I'm so excited to do so because I think that it really is a book for our times, y'all. I really do. Because it really does seek to get at this question. How in the world are people who follow Christ to live faithfully in that world, in a world that doesn't share its values, that may not agree and share the same beliefs as Christians might share? That is what Peter is going to take up and what he wants to write about in this the entirety of the letter. And here's what you need to know. The world that you're living in, yes, even the campus that you're on. I'm not bemoaning this. I'm not, I'm not uh, pardon the line, I'm not poo-pooing on it. I'm just telling you these are the facts, okay? Do you know that over one million people in the United States alone just simply have no contact with the church? And that number is around 80 million for people who have no concern to do so. Let me push pause. If there's somebody that would say, I'm not a Christian, you're here tonight, what courage you have. What courage you have to come into a room and to be with folks who do believe believe differently than you. That takes a lot. That takes a steel spine. And we're just so, so glad that you're here. Secondly, of that, I mean, thirdly, I I mentioned already the second point, but thirdly, every year, it's just amazing to see that over 3,500 churches close their doors. And right here on the TCU campus, there is always a lingering question. What in the world does it look like to live faithfully as a Christian? Or more more broadly, what does it even mean to be a Christian on this campus? I mean, do you have to go to seven Bible studies a week? Right? Does it matter how I live my life with respect to my sexual ethics? Or what I do with my money? Or the way that I use and consume alcohol? Or the way that I speak about people? Does any any of this matter? What about my future job? How am I to think Christianly about my own calling. And Peter's message to us has a bearing on all of this in all areas of our life. But here's what I really want you to see tonight. That Peter not only is telling us about how to live faithfully unto Jesus, but he's going to tell them at every turn where there's real power to do so. And I think that's the most critical piece because I can tell you all day long what you ought or what you should do. I can should all over you tonight. <laughs> But what good is that going to do you if you don't have any fuel in the tank to be able to live it out? That's what Peter's concern is as well. So tonight under three headings, I just want to share them with you. First of all, Peter's going to show us this, what we're called. Secondly, he's going to show us what we're called to. And then thirdly, what we're called to see. What we're called, what we're called to, and what we're called to see. So let's take a look first at this idea of what we're called. It's up on the screen. I try to make these slides every week for us, and so you'll find it right up here if you ever get lost or you're a note taker and you want to take some notes, here you have it. What we're called to, turn your eyes there to the page, first Peter 1 to 2. The first thing that I want you to see right there in verse one is that Peter says this, "To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. He is highlighting this very fact that he calls us, He calls Christians elect exiles. Chosen exiles, as it were. Chosen people is another way of saying it. One Bible calls it resident aliens. Another one, strangers. The idea is temporary residence is another translation. And here is what Peter is taking pains to try to do. To try to name who you are. He wants you to be squared away with your identity. And so he spills a lot of ink in an attempt to try to do that. And I just want to highlight two things. First of all, he calls us exiles. Exiles. Now, I don't know if you know what an exile is, but an exile is somebody who lives in a place that is not their home. They live in a place that is not currently where, they re- where their true residence is. You saw it there in the letter. You saw those, those five town names. Those are towns in current-day, modern-day Turkey, and they would have been uh, populated with believers in those cities. And so Peter is writing to them, and he's saying to them, You are exiles. You, even though you live there, that is not your true home. Because what it means to be an exile is that we live in such a way that the values and the currency and the demands of our life look radically different than the culture that we're surrounding. And that also means that if you're an exile, you will not be the beneficiaries of what the culture benefits you with. That's a clear picture that he wants us to understand about what it means to be an exile. It means to be living somewhere that is not your true country. And here is what Peter is trying to say. That for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have another home. That we have a better home. That we have a better longing, a better place for us. And that is with Christ. In his true home, in his true country. It is what the writer of Hebrews talks about in his letter where he talks about this as well. But not only are we exiles, he wants you to see this, that you are elect exiles. You saw it there in verse 12, in verse 1 and 2. And the picture I want to just highlight for you is I cannot go into all the intricacies of the biblical doctrine of election that's right here in this text. I'm not going to spend my time tonight doing that. If you want to talk about it, I'll buy you lunch and coffee and we can do that. That's great. Here's the thing I want you to see. I want you to see that it is God Himself that draws us in. Did you catch it there in the text where he said this? That you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. What is he saying? Y'all listen. You have been set apart as beloved children as exiles. Because the God of all grace, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, has put His love on you. And that picture is one of he loves you, he loves you, he loves you because he loves you. That's what you're supposed to be captured by. That we're not only exiles, finding a true home, having a home somewhere else, but that we're much beloved by God, the triune God himself. And why, why in the world might this matter? Well, I just want to set it up like this. Some of you know what it's like to either visit or to live in a country that is not your own. I remember an experience I had about 15 years ago when I traveled to a New Zealand for a couple of months. And one of the funny things that I noticed there was that nobody wore their freaking shoes. <laughs> I was out in the mall, I was in the grocery store, and everybody's just walking around barefoot. And here I am in my shoes, I just felt like an outsider. I'm like, don't you all care about dirty grocery store floors? And, and yet, and yet, I, I, I'm telling you this to say that was my experience. I knew what it was. And some of you know what that's like. This is not your home country. You live in a culture that is not your home culture. And for some of you to be at TCU is to be in a culture, in a home, that is not your true home. And so you, you feel this. Peter is saying this, that to be a Christian is to be an elect exile. Why is this so important? I want to drive this home for one more minute. Some of y'all, just by nature of being here on campus, are going to feel what it looks like spiritually to be spiritual exiles. Some of you are starting a journey that begins this year for four years at TCU. Some of you might take a victory lap. Some of you are on the victory lap right now. I took a victory lap. There's no shame in that game. Here's what I want you to see. The temptation is that by being an exile, is to say, you know what? I might have faith in Christ and I'm gonna put it on the shelf for a few years. And I'll pick it up as I pick up my diploma, and then I'm gonna go on with life after that. And I just wanna urge you, and I want to beg you, and I can have students that I have met with to raise their hands and say, please don't do that. Here's why. It's naive to think that you'll be the same person that put the faith on the shelf when you first began. You see, time, And experience y'all have a profoundly powerful impact to shape the very wants of our heart. And so I would just ask you, how are you how can you be so sure that years later, when you want to pick it back up, when you want to take it seriously again, that you'll actually want to? It would be naive to say that you would. And I want you to see, Peter is saying, rather live in attention. I know it's Austin's label, but you're weird. You're weird. And it's okay. Because Christ loves you. He has set His affection on you. He has called you His own. And that's what it means to live in this world. Secondly, I want you to take a look as well at what we're called to. And I'm just going to touch on this briefly because I want to spend some time on my third point. Actually, I don't know what I'll do. We'll just wait and see what happens. Here we go. Secondly, this idea of what we're called to. And I want you to see in verses 3... And uh, 3 through 10 here, what Peter has showed us about what it is that we're called to. Did you notice it there and catch it in verse 3 when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And that's what I want you to see, that we were called to a living hope. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of the word hope. I know what our culture thinks of. Usually our culture, when it thinks of the word hope, it's talking about a wish, right? Like, I hope the frogs do well in football this fall, right? That's what we think of. Or, oh my gosh, uh, my accounting class is going to kick my booty this year. I hope that I can get out of there with a D. That's what I'm talking about, right? But here's the thing. That's not at all what the Bible means when it talks about hope. Hope in the biblical sense is a present confidence in a future certainty. Let me say that again. Hope in the Bible sense is a present confidence in a future certainty. And we're going to look at a lot of this next week, so I urge you to come back when Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you in the Lord Jesus the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that next week. But for now, here's what I want you to see about what hope is when I talk about a future a a, a present confidence and a future certainty. Think about it like this. Imagine for a moment that you were to walk into one of your classes this week and your teacher just says to you, class, here's the deal. The grades are in. First A class. The grades are in. You have an A+. You have an A+. That A-plus is secured for you. It is given... It cannot change. You cannot lose your A+. Plus. Your academic performance cannot lose it. It will not change it because your academic performance is not, what's, is not what is giving you the A. I'm giving you the A out of my own kindness and generosity. Now, I just want to ask you, if that were true of your class, how might you exist, live, perform in that class throughout the duration of the semester. You might actually like studying because you weren't having to prove yourself with your grades. You might actually enjoy the class because it wouldn't be about a future job one day. But here's what else would happen. When the material got hard, you would have confidence everything's going to be okay, wouldn't you? Because what's your grade? It's an A. Why do I share this story with you? That is what hope is. That is what the biblical definition of hope is. And here's what's true. Take the illustration. Let me push it home on you. Peter is saying that you have hope, that you have a future reality that's as good as gold, that you can take it to the bank, that it sits for you in heaven right now, unfading, imperishable, and without spot. And it sits at the right hand of God the Father in the finished work of Jesus for you. That what He has done for you, you can't get to it and screw it up. And that's good news. Because it means all of your failures throughout the rest of your life, if you are in Jesus, gives you hope and confidence for that great future that is yours. The Christian vision of hope, again what we will look at next week, is utterly amazing and beautiful. And what I want you to see Peter saying to you right now is, is that it is certain. You cannot lose it. And it is yours. This is what it says. Look at the text. He says this, that we have this hope. Not we'll have it. Not if we're good enough. Not, we have it because of what Christ has done, because of His resurrection, the text tells us. That's what we have. And that's good news. I want to keep moving. Listen to what one writer says about what hope is. I think this is helpful. Maybe it will stir us for a moment. This is what one pastor says. Hope is a sure and certain anchor of the soul that orients your present and assures you, no matter what storms may rage, that all suffering will be healed, that all the inscrutable contradictions will one day vanish, that something so beautiful and so harmonious will one day come to pass that it will suffice for all the broken hearts, reconcile all the resentments, and atone for all the crimes of man's humanity against man, that one day we shall embrace one another and weep, and it will make up for and more than make up for everything that has happened. That is hope with a nod to the brothers Keremoth you all, here's what I want you to see. I want you to begin to understand that when Jesus says, I am making all things new, He did not lie. He did not stutter. He was not confused. And the great hope of the gospel, the good news, is that that is what is true for you. You see, the light at the heart of Christianity is not just a fire insurance card, y'all. There's a lot of confusion in the Christian church today that says salvation is just my get out of hell card. And I just want to say this. That's not the Christian vision of salvation. It's not. Because to not want to be in hell does not mean anything about, about your love for God and your desire for Him. And moreover, God is making a new world. One that we will live in. One that we will inhabit. And that's part of the Christian vision of hope. That's the world that's coming. No more racism. No more Charlottesvilles. No more. No more inequality. No more divorce. No more parents dying. None of that crap ever exists anymore. We have a God that wipes away our tears. And he says that hope is yours right now. Thirdly, what we're called to see. I just want you to see it. I'm going to be ever so brief about this. Look with me in these last few verses here about uh, where Peter talks about this in these last couple of verses from verse 11 to 12. Here is where I want you to see where the real power comes from. Read this again with me. I'm just going to skim over it. Concerning this salvation, that is this great hope, the prophets, that is the prophets from the Old Testament, the old story of God, they foretold or they prophesied about this grace that was to be yours. That is yours, TCU. Yours, you people sitting in the chair. That they searched and inquired carefully for And then it says, it inquired what person or time, so on and so forth. And then it says this in verse at the end of verse 12. It says, to those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see this at the very end. Things into which angels long to look. Peter has already said right here, the prophets of the old looked and searched. They looked into these things. And the first of all, you have to ask the question, what is it? And it is the good news, which is the very gospel, the very center of the news of what Christ has done for us. Hear me well if you don't hear anything else about what I'm saying tonight. I want you to be able to walk out of that room, this room tonight, knowing exactly the thing that the prophets are talking about. And it is this. That the good news that comes to us in Jesus is not for you to clean up your act. And that God would have something to do with you. Instead, what lies at the very center of the gospel, the Christian message, the very good news, is what Christ has done for us. And that God is pleased to look at Christ's finished work, what He earned for us, given to us, credited to us, put in our account instead of what we do. And so what that means is this. This might be staggering for some. That when God looks at you in Christ Jesus, He does not see your record. Instead, He sees the perfect record of Jesus on your behalf. That is amazing news, and I want you to see it's that thing that the prophets looked forward to to being able to speak about. And here's the thing that I want you that I want to just move you. It says last few words. Things into which angels long to look. What is Peter saying? The word "long to." It's literally an image of craning your neck. I'm you know what I mean by craning your neck. Kind of do that to see something, right? Something that you're interested in. Something that captures your attention, right? I mean, it, it's the it's the running back you know, making an 80-yard run and you're, oh my God, you know, you're going crazy, right? It, it's, it's uh, you know, some famous person passing by and you're craning your neck or maybe it's a science project for those folks that love that sort of thing. You're craning your <laughs> neck to see something. You know, it's beautiful. The idea is it's something beautiful that captures your attention and moves you. And here's what I want you to see. Peter is saying that the angels spend all of eternity without sin in the very presence of God and they never cease to wonder at the gospel. The very thing that you get to participate in. The very thing that's yours. The heavenly hosts crane their neck. And they go, what is this? What is this amazing thing that our God has come to bring sinners home? What is it? That's what they're talking about, y'all. That's what Peter is getting at. And Peter says, when that begins to get down in your bones, it begins to change you. That is the good news. Think about it like this. You may wonder, well, what happens when that begins to get into the life of an individual? And I just want to talk about one person. One person that got into. Do you know, it's the writer of this letter. It's Peter. For those of you who are familiar with Peter's story, you might remember what he did. Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to the cross. And Peter said, no way to get behind me, Satan. Peter later said this, I'm not gonna, even, even if everybody else denies you, I'll never do it. He says, Peter, when the, when the chicken crows, you'll become like a chicken. You're going to bail on me. He says, I won't do it. And what happens? He does. He literally denies Jesus. Talk about failure. Failure. I just want to say this. Where do you look at your life? And you go, I've blown it with God. I've blown it with Him. I want you to look at Peter and see the restoration that he receives. That Peter's name is included in the Gospel narratives with those who are at the tomb. It says, go tell, go tell the believers and Peter and Mark. In the book of Mark, it says that. Last chapter, you can go look it up. It's beautiful. The picture is is that Jesus is tender with Peter. He restores him in John 21, so much so that he himself writes this letter, and he he writes about the living hope that he now has. And, y'all, I just want to say when that begins to get down in your bones, when you begin to see what Jesus has done for you, when you begin to see the thing that we're called to see, that the prophets (laughs) looked at, that the angels themselves looked at, it begins to radically change your life, such in a way that you can have confidence be able to live as an exile in this world. I want to land the plane with this. A friend of mine, Kevin, who's a campus minister at another campus, tells this story, and it is amazing. He calls it a story looking for a sermon, and that, that might have been what tonight was. Who knows? We'll never know. Anyways, my, my friend Kevin has a friend named John. He's a pastor, and John was asked by his boss to be at a meeting where he was needed, and he said, sure, I can be there. John needed to be there. Well, that day, the day of the meeting, John gets a call from a guy named Dan. And Dan says, John, you got to go to the movies with us. And he says, I can't. i got this meeting. He says, no, you understand. When I say movies, I mean me and Bono. From U2, the lead singer. <laughs> He's coming to town. We're going to go out to the movies. We're going to go eat together. We're going to go have dinner and drinks afterwards. You have to come. And he says, I can't make, I just can't come to this thing. He says, Yonder says, Bono says, I can't. I've made my commitments. I have to keep them. Well, Dan calls another guy, Austin. Austin goes. They have a great a great um, time together with Bono. They go to the movies, eat dinner, and all it's this crazy story. But here's what gets amazing. Later on, John, the guy who couldn't go, talked to Austin, the guy who took his place. And he said, oh, I can't believe I missed dinner with Bono and movies. with him. I just can't believe it. And Austin says this. Listen to me. Austin says, are you kidding me, man? He says, I sat behind, beside him at the movies, and he doesn't know me from dirt. But I can tell you, every 15 minutes, Bono kept saying, who is this guy, John, who blew me off for some church event? I have got to meet him. And <laughs> <laughs> here's what I want to say. My buddy Kevin and I would say this. I cannot promise you that Bono will want to hang out with you. But here is what I will say. Maybe, just maybe, God might be at work on this campus to create a little colony of heaven in such a way that those who see it just go, what in the world causes people to live like that? What in the world causes people to live as strangers in that way? That's just weird. And here's what I want you to see. That when you begin to see what the prophets saw and to see what the angels are mesmerized by, that Jesus really has come to bring you home to God, apart from all of your good efforts and trying, and that there is no one so far away from God's grace that it can't reach. When When that comes home, it really does set you free. It sets you free to live that way. I want you to come back next week. I want you to come hear more about this amazing news. We may be stuck in this room again. I don't know. But if so, we'll just do it again. And uh, we're going we're gonna to make it work. I'm proud of y'all. Thank you for coming and doing this. Let's pray and we'll sing one more song.